You are listening to the Fur Road Christian Church Podcast. Our mission is to love God and love people. For more information about Fur Road, visit furroadcc.org. That is F-I-R-R-O-A-D-C-C dot org. Now for this week's message. Hey, good morning. Uh, thanks for joining us. <clears throat> hey, I have a question for you guys. What do you do when you want to figure out something that, that you really don't understand very well? What, what process do you go through? Uh, for example, when it comes to electronic stuff, technology kind of things, um, my process is to call my son Caleb and say, hey, Caleb, what do I do? And uh, he, he first says something like, well, have you been troubleshooting it? And I say, well, yes, this is how I'm troubleshooting. I'm calling you, son. And so we go back and forth. He usually helps me and has pity on me. Um, but what do you guys do to, to figure something out? You know, may, you watch a YouTube video, you know, how to do this, and then you watch. Maybe talk to other people that you know, um, understand things more. Maybe it's trial and error. You just jump in and make mistakes. You know, there's a, a lot of different ways to try to figure out something that you don't know. Well, today, we're in our last chapter of Mark, which is Mark 13, even though there's 16 chapters in the book. If you remember, we already went through Mark 14 through 16 leading up to Easter. Um, I hope you've uh, enjoyed this series called Urgent. I hope you've learned some things. I hope you have a a renewed sense of urgency uh, in getting to know Jesus better. But today we get to chapter 13, and it's a chapter that's completely different than all the other chapters. Okay, it's a total break from what we've been talking about. Um, obviously, it's important. Uh, we know that, or it wouldn't be there. But it talks about events that would happen after Jesus was gone from this earth. So uh, Jesus is looking ahead here. I have a confession. I ask you guys about what your process is to figure something out that you really don't understand. When it comes to the Bible, oftentimes my, my normal method when I, I come to something I, I don't understand is to say, you know, I, I don't know what it's talking about. I think I'll just move on. Um, does anyone else ever do that? Uh, hopefully I'm not the only one. That's the easiest thing to do. You know, sometimes I'll stop and, and study it, but it's easier just to move on. Here's the problem. I, I'm the preacher preaching through the book of Mark, so it's a little hard to just pass it on by, right? And, and so you'd probably notice that we skip Mark 13. So I've been a good little student and uh, studied this chapter quite a bit, and I've learned a lot along the way. But let me give you a a couple disclaimers before we get into this chapter. First of all, there there are a whole lot of different interpretations as to what the words in this chapter are talking about, especially when it comes to the future events uh, it's referring to and the timing of the events. And uh, some really smart Christian people have studied this a lot more than I have. And, and uh, these people who have studied it a lot more than I have come to varied conclusions uh, about what the different things that Jesus is talking about are actually referring to. So uh, if we don't completely agree on everything about this chapter, it's okay. These aren't salvation-type issues. So, okay, can we agree on that? Um, we can still love each other, even though I'm right and you're wrong. Okay, just kidding. Um, second thing I found over the years is that we tend to read Scripture as it is all happening in, in our time right now. Okay, if, if a, a big event happens, it, you know, we automatically say, oh, that's a, that's a biblical event. Look, we can see this is it right now. 
that, that red moon that we're having, we haven't had one for a thousand years and, or, or whatever it is, and this means this, and oh, we know this. Um, so we need to be careful of not just taking everything that happens now and saying, okay, this is all about, this is what the Bible is talking about. Um, so we keep that in mind. The third thing is that in, in the big picture, we know that Jesus wins the battle, okay? He, he is victorious. He will come back again one day. Uh, he was victorious through his resurrection. He's promised to, to return again one day. That's what is most important. And so I'd also say that, that any viewpoint from this chapter um, cannot be perfectly explained. There are things that are difficult to reconcile no matter how you look at it. And, and so let me kind of give you my overall thesis of what's going on here in this chapter, and then we'll read through the chapter together. Um, so the dis- disciples... They asked Jesus a couple of questions, and, and I think that in answering the questions the, of the disciples, Jesus separates the chapter into two events, okay? That, and the two events are the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, which happened in AD 70, and, which is about 40 years after Jesus is talking here, and then his second coming that will happen later. So that's the kind of the lens that I would uh, like you to kind of hear this chapter as I read it. Okay, this is long, um, but I think it's best to just just read the whole chapter to start with, so bear with me. Um, Try to stay with me as we go here. So verse 1, as Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter, because those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning, when God created the world, until now, and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Messiah, or look, there, there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Okay, so are you still with me? We're not done yet. Okay, so hang in there. 
Okay, focus, here we go. Verse 23, so be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. But in those days following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it's near. Uh, it is near right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. All right, good job. So, I read it. You got it all figured out? Oh, well, good. Okay, so let's close with prayer. We'll be done for the day. Not really, but let's do pray uh, before we dig into this a little bit. Lord, I just uh, uh, come before you. And I, I pray that you'll help us to, to hear what you want us to hear and, and learn what you want us to learn today. Help us to um, just listen to you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so they are leaving the temple and, and talking as they walked. And the disciples are kind of admiring just how amazing the temple is. And, and Jesus basically says, actually, guys, this temple that you admire so much, it's going to be destroyed. Okay, and, and we aren't told the reaction, but it had to be pretty hard for them to hear. And, and I can just see them trying to, to process what Jesus is trying to tell them. You ever do that? You, you hear something and, and you just kind of, it's almost like, man, what, what did I hear? And, and you just have to process and those wheels are turning. Um, so then they get to the Mount of Olives and they sat down, which is a normal thing to do. Uh, when they left Jerusalem, they looked back uh, at the city from the Mount of Olives. They admired the temple. Uh, they would thank God uh, often. And, and uh, remember, we talked about the Mount of Olives a couple weeks ago and it, its prominent role in prophecy for Israel. Um, so this is a, an important place. And while they're stopped, some of the disciples asked Jesus, okay, so uh, you said these things. When is this all going to happen? How are we going to know it's going to happen? And that's when Jesus goes into this explanation of what's going to happen in the future. A big, long explanation, right? And so we look back on it now, and, and we also, we try to figure it out. What, what's Jesus talking about, just, just like the disciples did? And so here's how I would break it down, okay? Th there was a specific, terrible event in history that actually did happen, okay? In AD 70, the, the temple, pretty much the whole city of Jerusalem, uh, were completely destroyed by Roman armies. And, and along with that destruction, I mean, a lot of terrible things happened. Okay, and I'll talk some, about some of those things in a minute. But Jesus was telling the disciples that, that there would be signs leading up to this destruction. Okay, and, and then at the very end, 
people need to just run for their lives uh, because it was going to be so bad. And so I believe most of the chapter is referring to that. Okay, and then the second big event that will happen that Jesus is referring to is his, this, his second coming. Okay, and, and that, this is a good thing. This is when he will come back to take his people home. Okay, so there's hope later. This bad thing's going to happen, but then this good thing will happen. And, and Jesus is saying for that, there won't be a lot of specific signs. Okay, right before the Son of Man comes back. Okay, uh, like there was for the destruction of the, the temple. No one will know exactly when that will be. So we need to be prepared for that. And so I, I lean towards the idea that the first part of the chapter, possibly all the way up, up to verse 31, is about the destruction of the temple. And, and the rest of the chapter is about his second coming. And uh, you know, that's that's part that's debated a lot. But And, and it it's actually isn't the first time that Jesus has pronounced judgment uh, on the temple. And when we look back at Mark, okay, in fact, much of his ministry um, has been challenging the way things were and, and how he was ushering in a, a new kind of kingdom, right? We've talked about that. We've talked about that, you know, all the way through. You know, it's different um, now. And so the destruction of the temple is really part of the fulfillment of what Jesus has been talking about all along because of the, the disobedience of God's chosen people. But the disciples kind of want to know, hey, well, so when is this going to happen? That's a good question, right? And I think actually Matthew 24, 3, it makes the two parts of what they're asking about a, a little clearer uh, when it tells the same story in, in that book. It, it says the disciples ask this, when will this happen and, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Okay, and, and that's how I, I think Jesus answers the question with those thoughts in mind. But So first about the destruction of the temple and then about the end of the age. But here's the thing. I think in their minds, if the temple was destroyed, that would be the end of everything. That would bring about the end of the age. Their, their whole worlds were so focused around the temple that they would have linked these two together. And so their normal word for the end of everything was centileo. Uh, and they thought, okay, all these things would, would come together at the same time. Um, so that's the normal word that would be used. But Jesus actually uses a different word to describe the end in verse 7 when he said the end is still to come. And that word is telos, okay, which, which like I said, it's not the normal word for the end of everything. It's like he's saying this, is, this, this will be the end of the temple, temple um, but not the end of everything yet. That makes sense. So uh, Jesus described some specific things that will happen leading up to the destruction of the temple. And so the, the question uh, we should ask is, okay, did these things actually happen before the destruction of the temple in AD 70? We know the temple was destroyed. We can see that from history. Um, and, but can we look back and say, yes, these things happened leading up to the destruction? Things like deception by, by people claiming to be the Messiah or were there false prophets or were there wars and famines and, and persecution and, and all kinds of terrible things going on. Did those things happen? And the answer is we look at histories that most definitely, yes, they did happen, especially in the years 66 through 70, so right before this happened. And so we get some of our best descriptions of those times from the Jewish historian Josephus. And, and we don't have time to get into all the specific history, but there were definitely many false Christs and false prophets, and, and living conditions were horrible. 
Okay, there was famine, and, and people turn on each other in order to have food to eat, and really hard stories. Um, and Rome did rise up against the Jewish people. And, and another thing to keep in mind here, too, in regards to the timing, is that, is that, that Jesus was talking directly to the disciples here in his wording. He said things like, you must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. People are going to hate you because of me. Okay, so um, he does say the Holy Spirit's going to be with you, so, so don't worry. He gives them some, some reassurance there. Uh, it will, you'll know the words to say. Don't worry about that. Um, but bad things are going to happen. Uh, Peter uh, was killed probably in A.D. 68, maybe as early as A.D. 67, and they all faced persecution for being followers of Jesus. So that happened. Um, but then it says that things are going to get really, really bad. And, and when it gets really, really bad, then, then it's time for people to get out of there as fast as possible. That's how bad. When you see the abomination that causes desolation, okay, then it's time to flee. So what in the world is the abomination that causes desolation? Okay, well, to desolate means to, to lay waste or to deprive of inhabitants. The phrase altogether refers to something detestable that's causing terrible desolation. Okay, so it's basically a terrible, terrible thing. The, the wording actually has a specific background in Daniel 8, 13 and, and several other passages in Daniel. That's where we originally had this language. So it's basically like the, the worst thing that you can imagine. So here's a, a brief description by Josephus of some of the things that happened leading up to the destruction of the temple. Um, by the summer of 68 AD, Jews were nearing defeat by the Roman legions, and in 69 AD, Vespasian was made emperor of Rome and gave his son Titus the honor of delivering the final death blows to the re rebellious Jews in their capital city. In the Wars of the Jews, book 6, Josephus Josephus notes that on the eighth day of the Jewish month Ab, the ramps were finished and Titus ordered the battering rams brought up and made ready for an assault on the temple. With the battering rams in place, the Roman siege of Jerusalem, which began at Passover that year, would come to an end. As soon as the walls were breached on the ninth of Ab in 70 AD, a Roman military force of about 30,000 troops under the command of Titus marched into Jerusalem and began a systematic slaughter of the Jews and the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, exactly as Jesus foretold 40 years earlier. The Romans brutally slaughtered an estimated 600,000 people in Jerusalem, including many of the Passover visitors who had been trapped there for the 143 days during the Roman siege. Many of the people who were not killed by Roman soldiers were shipped off to the gladiator games or Roman mines and otherwise exiled from Judea and scattered throughout the Roman Empire and other nations. By the year 73 AD, all traces of a self-ruling Jewish nation had completely disappeared. Josephus also records that the Romans put the city and the temple to the torch and that these fires were still burning a month later. And so I believe this was the abomination that causes desolation that Jesus referred to. The magnificent temple that, that Herod had built uh, was completely destroyed as the fires raged inside and out. These fires were so hot that the gold fittings and the gold gilding inside and on its outside walls melted and ran into the cracks between and in the stones. And, and during the pillaging of the temple, the, the stones were broken up to get at the gold. 
therefore fulfilling Jesus' prophecy that no stone would be left on another. The destruction was total, just as Jesus foretold. Okay. So the destruction of the temple was the fulfillment of what Jesus was talking about. Uh, N.T. Wright refers to the major events of the ministry connected to Jesus' life as signposts. Okay, the destruction of the temple is the last signpost. Uh, the key signpost would be the cross, the empty tomb, the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was received, and then the destruction of the temple. So he, he believes they're all meant to be connected together. And Jesus said that it would happen in that generation. Okay, well, a generation is usually considered to be about 40 years, and the destruction of the temple happened within 40 years of Jesus' death and resurrection. Okay, so that's a lot of words. And, and some of you are like, man, that, okay, Dan, it's the most boring thing ever. And so I'm sorry. Uh, some of you love this kind of thing. You eat it up. Some of you are like, who cares? Okay, what in the world does any of this have to do with me? So I, I get that. Um, so let me try to kind of tie things in a little bit for us. Um, here's the thing. The, the first part of the chapter applies to us, I think, in, in that it shows us that Jesus knew what he was talking about. Okay, these things did happen, that they were fulfilled. They, they can be verified through history, so they help us to trust Jesus. Uh, and and what, the, what he said was true. Okay? However, in the last few verses of this chapter, I present to you as verses that haven't been fulfilled yet. And so if you, if you checked out a long time ago, I want to encourage you to check back in for a few minutes. Okay? Shake it out. Okay? Shake, it, shake your head. Jump up and down, dump some water on your head if you need to. So, but let's go to that again. Here's the start of that part of the passage again, verse 32. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the, the one at the door to keep watch. So actually, the, the language in these last few verses in Greek is transitional, okay? In the King James, it says, but of that day and that hour, um, another way to say it might be, but concerning that day or, or hour, nobody knows, okay? So it's kind of transitioning to uh, a future time after this other event. And so with the destruction of the temple in the first part of the chapter, it says that there would be signs and warnings, Okay? In the second coming of Jesus, the, or the Son of Man, there won't be specific signs that will tell us exactly when it's going to happen. And I think Jesus is saying here that because of that, because there won't be specific signs about when he comes, we need to be ready at all times. Back in verse 35, it says, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know what the owner of the house, when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. Okay, do you ever fall asleep when you're not supposed to? It can be almost painful at times to, to stay awake when you need to stay awake. I remember one time when I was in high school, and it, and it, it was a super busy summer for me, and, and, and I was... Um, driving to a, a baseball game, and I had been at a football camp, and I had been working, and, uh, and it, I just wasn't sleeping a lot, and I was just so tired, and I was fading off, and, and, and I knew that, Dan, you have to stay awake, you could die, and so I'd be awake for uh, you know, a little bit, and then start happening again, 
And it's like, man, I need to stay awake. This is so crucial. Uh, here's, here's a guy who is struggling. I like how he, he looks around each time to, to make sure nobody saw him fall asleep. But uh, we've all been there probably. Right now we're talking about spiritually falling asleep, about being complacent and, and maybe even kind of lazy in our faith. And so here's where I'm going to get personal for a minute. If you are sleeping spiritually and you know where you're at, it's time to wake up. Okay, Jesus is saying, be ready. And I think there are a whole lot of Christians who are sleepwalking through life. They're not truly engaged in their faith really at all. Our, our son Caleb used to, to sleepwalk at night, and, and sometimes he'd wander out of his room and just kind of stand there and, and look at us, and, and we, we knew he was asleep. One night, uh, we were in, in our beds, and in his, there was a bedroom right above us, and we kept hearing this uh, um, scratching sound, and you know, we couldn't figure out what it was. And, and so we went upstairs finally, and, and so Caleb's room was on the other side of upstairs, and this was the spare bedroom right above our room. And... We went in that, that spare bedroom, and and I, there was a closet, and I heard something in the closet. And so I'm like, what in the world? Is there an animal in there? I opened the door, and Caleb was in there, like, scratching, kind of trying to get out, but he's asleep, too. And, and so we finally got him redirected and, and uh, back to his bedroom. Um, yeah, sleepwalking spiritually, it, it's a, a big thing, too. Um but spiritually speaking, there's just simply too much at stake, I think, to sweep, sleepwalk through life. And so I, I want to wrap up this urgent series by encouraging you to make your faith urgent. Are you urgently preparing yourself and those around you uh, for Jesus to come back? Okay, and, and I think the best remedy to stop sleepwalking in our faith is, is just to get out there and serve, to, to get out there and do something for Christ. Okay, we know, no matter what it is, okay, throughout this book, Jesus has showed us a different kind of kingdom, a kind of kingdom where serving others is encouraged, not looked down upon it, and he modeled that with his life. It's a different kind of kingdom. So I think a question to always keep in the back of our minds is this. If we knew Jesus was coming back in a month or a week, would we live our lives any differently than how we're living them now? And if you knew Jesus was coming back, would you want to, to, to make sure, um, or is there somebody you'd want to talk to to make sure that they were ready? You know, what would you want to do? Um, and if you knew Jesus was coming back, are there some things that, that seem important in your life that wouldn't seem nearly as important anymore? If you knew Jesus was coming back, would you change anything in your lifestyle? And so what do you need to do to get ready? And so these words that Jesus used, they're actually warning words, okay? He's saying, wake up, be ready, because it could happen at any time. You know, when you know somebody's coming to your house to visit, you, you clean things up, right? Uh, you you want to make things look good. Holly and I have gotten pretty good over the years of doing a 10-minute tidy. If we know somebody's on their way, we can just make things, you know, give the overview really quickly. Um, when it comes to Jesus' return, Hey, we, we need to be ready at any time as well. We need to keep our house clean, our spiritual houses clean all the time. It's nice to have a clean house, isn't it? Okay, once you clean your house, you feel good. Um, 
There was once a, a wealthy American newspaper publisher named James Gordon Bennett. And in 1835, Bennett started a famous newspaper called the, the New York Herald. And he had two lavish apartments in Paris, plus a French country estate and a yacht harbored in Europe. He also had three homes in the U.S., even though he hadn't lived in the country for over 10 years. But the servants in each of his homes always needed to be prepared for Bennett's unexpected arrival. Jones wrote, each house was fully staffed, ready to serve Bennett, should he stride in the front door unannounced. The wine cellars were kept stocked, fires roared in the grates, and sheets were turned down nightly. Okay, they were always ready for their owner to return. Friends, Jesus is calling us to be ready for that day. It's not about something to be scared about. It's not something to worry about. Worry about. It, it is something to be excited about. It's a good thing, but it's something to be ready for. We need to be ready. And so let me ask you, are you ready for that day? Or do you need to have more of a sense of urgency that Jesus might come back? The last words that Jesus spoke to his disciples that day were this. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Okay, the message was for his disciples. It's for us today as well. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Guys, are, are you ready? It's urgent. Let's pray. Father, as we look at a, a chapter like today, uh, there's some things that are kind of hard to, to comprehend. Um, but, but we know that there's, um, these were words were written for us. And that we can pull out of them and, and see. And, and one of the big things that we can pull out of this chapter today is that you are coming back one day. And how awesome that's going to be. But we need to be ready for that. And so I pray that every one of us is ready. I pray for those around us that, that they, they would be ready. And uh, help us to have an urgency in our faith. And if we're, we're sleeping right now, help us to wake up, Lord. Thank you for being patient with us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so thank you for sticking with us through this series on Mark. Uh, next week we have a, a special treat. We have a guest speaker. His name is Tom Normiel. Uh, he's part of our Fur Road family. He was in ministry for many years and uh, is also our youth minister, Jordan Onler's grandpa. And so I, th I think you're going to really enjoy it. And then the week after that, we're going to start a new series called Supernatural that I, I think is going to be some really interesting and powerful stuff. So um, that's coming up. Okay, so have a great week and, and God bless.